And our scripture reading today from Psalm 29 begins its first two verses with a call to worship. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. That call to worship is our invitation today. The action is described differently in different translations. Some say ascribe to the Lord. Some say confess to the Lord. Some say recognize the Lord. And all of these ideas are different things of kind of this generic word in the Hebrew text for give. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. The worship and praise of God is a foundation of our faith. And yet each of us are tempted to worship and give glory to other things, to false gods, to idols. And we have to talk about some false gods today. Jesus' great sermon on the mountaintop warned us that we cannot share our worship between God and anything else. Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and wealth. We often worship money. One of my favorite economic parables is the political allegory of The Wizard of Oz. L. Frank Baum authored The Wonderful World of Oz in 1900. Two years later, it became a popular musical, and in 1939, it was turned into the feature film that so many of us know it as, starring 16-year-old Judy Garland. Interpreters of this story have suggested that the story is actually about the demonetization of silver in 1873 and the cyclone of economic upheaval that followed leading up to the Gold Standard Act of 1900. Some background. Until the Civil War, the United States uh, used silver and gold coins uh, but they needed to finance a war, so they started printing greenbacks. And they were supposed to uh, be redeemable for gold and silver at the bank. And the United States, though, only had as much money as it had gold. That resource mattered a lot because it controlled the limits of our economy. And that caused economic stress through this period as there wasn't enough gold in the late 1800s to support our economic system. In the backdrop of this economic struggle, The Wizard of Oz becomes the story of a girl and her three companions hoping to get everything they want from a great green wizard of Oz. How do we get to the wizard? Follow the yellow brick road. Wait, yellow bricks? Gold? And we follow the yellow brick road and we never take off our ruby slippers and about that. It used to be silver slippers in the, the story. Uh, but because of the uh, Technicolor film technology, they wanted to show off this bright red, and her slippers changed from silver, taking them down the road, to red ruby slippers. If I only could have enough cash, then I could get home. If only I could have enough cash, then I could have courage. If I could only have enough cash, I could have a brain or have a heart. The secret, of course, is that the great green wizard was a front. There is no real magic. Luckily for them, they already had everything that they needed, but they didn't realize it. 
How often do we live our lives following yellow brick roads thinking that only if I had enough money for that sports car, then I'd have everything I needed. If only I had enough money for that house, I'd have everything that I needed. If only I had enough money for that trip to Europe or Hawaii or wherever you want to go, then I would have everything I needed. Before long, without knowing it, we show up to the church of money praying for our reward. But the psalmist calls us to worship God. And yes, there are many false gods that we show up to worship instead, not just money. We worship beauty. If only my body looked like that. If only your body looked like that. We worship technology. If only there was a little more pixels in my TV. It wasn't enough for the 77-inch TV screen with full HD or 4K. I want the new 8K. There's always something more. But we must talk about one particular idol on this occasion. We must admit that too often we worship earthly emperors. We know we shouldn't. Early Christians, after all, suffered persecution because they refused to worship the emperor. They were faced with the dilemma, renounce God, worship the emperor, or die. And many of our ancestors in the faith chose death. The honor that we show earthly emperors easily slips beyond the deference of a position into worship. There's a way to honor people And there's a way that that honor slips into something more. After all, our our word for worship in the Bible was used both of kings and of gods. We as humans have always flirted with treating our leaders as gods themselves. That's why the Roman Caesar would take on titles like Son of God, Lord and Savior, which Paul and Christians would defiantly place on Jesus instead. Everything you want to call the Caesar is true of Jesus and more. No emperor is worthy of the worship owed to God. This week, we were reminded of the importance of the long-standing tradition of Christians at rejecting the worship of an emperor. And this time, our own president, Donald Trump. You know too well what's going on in the world And I know there are different soils of reception. No, we are going to a place of theological reflection. But we have to give some background to illuminate the theological challenge we face. All historical context matters. It helps to know how the Wizard of Oz in the season that it was written in. It helps to know about how the Psalms were written. It helps to know how we got to this moment. Uh, As you all know, we are here in this moment after weeks of, uh, of our president struggling to come to grips with the reality of the votes of this country. And it resulted in an unprecedented attack on truth and reality, raising the temperature of an already divided country. The president assumed what was owed to him was power and a title, and that it was rightly his regardless of what others voted. And so he pushed our democracy, our people, our institutions to a limit. He sought to undermine the election by intimidating his own party, his own uh, party's local officials and states across the country, 
secretaries of state, judges, congresspeople, crowds of his supporters to do whatever it takes to keep him in power. And our Constitution survived in part because some Republicans were willing to stand up to their own party's leader and hold their oath to a Constitution and not to a president. The wizard behind the curtain was about to be revealed without the title and honor that comes with the most powerful office in the country. And as a last-ditch effort to hide from that reality, our president encouraged and incited an angry crowd of his most zealous supporters to listen to the worst parts of themselves and descend upon the Capitol building. It's hard to talk about some of the things that come next. The zealous mob abused police with violence, called black police officers the N-word repeatedly, erected gallows on the outside lawn, made nooses from media camera wires, had bombs in nearby buildings and vehicles, wrote murder the media on an office door, urinated and defecated on offices and hallways, threatened those like House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, and chanted, hang Mike Pence. As this was happening, Congress and staff were evacuated and kept in hiding, though many remained just on the other side of doors or walls from this mob, not knowing what might happen. And Republican politicians' interviews about that day are very telling. Republican sources in the White House described the president's reaction as, quote, delight. And confused when others weren't excited with him about what the mob was doing, trying to overthrow and disrupt the election process. What was he thinking about in regards to his vice president? As his vice president was being rushed away for protection, he tweeted an attack on his own VP for not being willing to bend the knee and reject his constitutional duty. And as of last night, the vice president's camp wanted to let some people know that the president had still not reached out to the VP about how he was doing or his safety. Instead of quickly trying to prevent the violence at the moment, instead what the president of our country was doing was calling members of Congress like Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville to try and persuade him and others to object to the counting of our electoral college votes. Why? Because all that mattered to him was him. When the insurrectionists were entering the Capitol building Wednesday, they did so with many flags. With the American flag, the don't tread on me flag, with the Confederate flag, and with a thin blue line flag supposedly in support of police as they attacked police. The painful cries of which you can watch on video. But even more, they walked with flags of a person's name, Trump. Without realizing it, perhaps, they marched against their own constitution and the duties of the Congress in support of their own political messiah, the only one they think can save them and their country. And that worshiping crowd included state-level politicians, off-duty police officers, and plenty of other occupations. Included in its members were neo-Nazis with shirts about Auschwitz and death camps. 
Among its members were conspiracy theorists like that QAnon shaman, which I'm sure you saw his picture on the news wearing the bullhorns and the fox skins draped around his head. But there were also those who claimed to follow Christ. And that should be one of the more painful things as well for us. You can watch videos of the so-called militia Proud Boys praying together before they marched. You can watch that QAnon shaman who had a sign that you might have seen in most of the pictures that said, Q sent me, talking about that conspiracy theory again. The back of that sign, though, said, Hold the line, patriots, God wins. Others held signs saying, Jesus saves. And others marched Christian flags across the building. As Jesus proclaimed, you can't serve two masters. If you don't choose Jesus Christ, no one will be able to live up to that title. Trump positioned himself as a savior to a crowd, to a crowd of his most extreme followers. And to many Christians, we have betrayed the worship of our true God with an imposter to the throne. I need you to hear that voting is complex. I am not talking about, did you vote or not for this man? Who are you worshiping? There has been a unique danger in the last four years about being set up as the strong man. Only I can bring you what you want and need. Trust in me. And we cannot ignore that that temptation leads us down dangerous paths. Christians and the church should never become pawns of any political party or candidate. If you found yourself worshiping at the feet of Republicans or Democrats, you have found yourself worshiping in the wrong place. We are entrusted with a prophetic voice that should critique and inspire people of all differing political ideologies to a place of peace and the worship of God. And in the desire for that elasticity where we say we want Republicans and Democrats to be able to come to God together, that unity is actually possible through unity of following Christ, we must also be adamant in rejecting idolatry and violence because sometimes our elasticity makes us silent and we don't want to talk about some things. But what people are doing in God's name deserves a response. The church should not be the silent ones. The rest of society is is startled, confused, and in pain. Where is the church and where are Christians to say no? In Michigan, in our very own region, in our backyard, domestic terrorist breeding ground has emerged of people who want to assassinate our own governor. We cannot, as Christians, sit by and ignore the violence growing around us. We cannot ignore the people, uh, that people believe that they're following God while committing evil. We cannot ignore the idolatrous worship of leaders who lead on into violence. To anyone and everyone who has fallen prey of worshiping our emperor, repent. To anyone who has found yourself talking abusively or crudely because we are desensitized to our language that we see in our leaders, repent. If you found yourself hating others because of language like our presidents, repent. The people that you think are the enemy are your neighbors who you are called to love. There is only one Christ and his name 
is Jesus. And the good news starts to roll in here. In the midst of this chaos of our current day, the psalmist speaks to us about all creation being called to give worship to God and describes this great divine storm rolling in. Have you ever watched the storm coming on the horizon and the power of it? Here is is the psalmist's words about the power of God in comparison uh, to those who seek power in our own world. Hear the words from Psalm 29, 3 through 8. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The power of God is like that storm coming on the horizon, that ominous looming presence that is overtaking you, that you, you see and you can't get out of the way of. The power of God causes all things to quake in its path, The mountains shake, the trees sway, the animals skip because all are moved by God's voice. This psalm is not just a call for worshiping God in a vacuum with no historical context. This psalm would definitely be heard by its audience as contrasting with the Canaanite version of understanding God. That Baal or El was this thunder god who was victorious in battle over the elements of the world like the waters of chaos. But God here in this psalm exerts power not with violence, but with his voice. The focus on that powerful voice is like Genesis 1, that God creates all things with just a spoken word. The truth of God is coming into the world and it will resound and echo throughout the cosmos and all will quake at the power of God's voice. When you think about those who seek to act like they have power in this world, think of the propaganda, the lies, the attempts to sweet-talk people compared to the, the smallness of those who would try to have power. God's voice overtakes them. Whoever seeks to abuse their powers on others, whether pharaohs or Caesars or emperors or presidents or chancellors, all are minuscule to the voice of God, to those who are afraid, to those who feel there is no hope, God's storm is coming. Listen to the thunderous rumble of God over the noise of the evil in this world. Today we celebrate Epiphany with the public ministry of Jesus, beginning with his baptism by John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was definitely not a people pleaser. Out on the Jordan River, outside the city, speaking some truth about the sins of the people of his time, including those in power. I have no doubt if John the Baptist were with us in this last year, he would have a lot to say. And it would not make people happy. He would call out our sins and call us to repentance. And we join those who are at the feet of the Jordan River who need to repent. And that bluntness led to John's execution 
at the hand of Herod Antipas. There's not always temporary, immediate reward in the face of those who seek to maintain power. But it sure seemed like the storm of God's kingdom that was coming that John was announcing was going to bring with it judgment and guilty verdicts on everybody. John's like, who told you to come out here and repent? Right? The kingdom of God is coming. But the powerful word of God was surprising because true power does not have to use it. Jesus modeled true power by being vulnerable. Jesus' path to death and resurrection robbed the mighty Roman Empire of its fear tactic, an execution with shame on a cross. When soldiers came to wrongfully arrest Jesus, Jesus didn't stir up a mob to retaliate. In fact, Peter wanted to do that, but Jesus told them to put away their swords. In the midst of excruciating pain from a cross, Jesus pronounced forgiveness even on those who didn't even ask for it. In Jesus' life and death, Jesus pronounced, God loves you, doesn't hate you. John of Patmos in the book of Revelation has his own way of describing this, that the ushering in of the new heaven and the new earth isn't with a violent mob uprising, but with Jesus conquering the beasts and the emperors of this world with the sword of his mouth. Much like the psalmist, the word will win. And so we long for God's kingdom whirlwind to show up in our midst and the voice of the Lord to ring loud and speak truth to power and vindicate the oppressed and the grieving. And it will also pronounce love and peace and hope. When faced with such a loving, powerful God and such contrast to the idols and the false gods of this world, what can we say? Psalm 29 gives us a suggestion. Psalm 29 says the voice of the Lord seven times. Seven times, and yet never once quotes a single thing God said. The voice of the Lord is rumbling and shaking, and yet not a single word gets said in this psalm. The only dialogue quoted, the only word spoken, is a one-word response of the people in the temple. Here's Psalm 29, verse 8. The voice of the Lord causes the oaks to whirl and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, all say, glory. Think about when we sang earlier, next Chelsea's Deo. Gloria. That the only right response in this world is to look at God and God's power and say glory. To all who have longed for justice and for peace and for equality and for love and forgiveness and health, the storm of God's kingdom is coming. If you see it, cry out glory. All who have gone into the waters of baptism have at one point in their life declared Jesus is Lord and have witnessed the power of God's rule over the waters that seek to destroy us. And you might not realize that imagery with our kind of like indoor static water baptismals, but in the midst of a river with flowing water, that chaotic water rolls over us but does not consume us because God has conquered it. 
If you have been baptized, remember your baptismal confession, Jesus is Lord. Don't let anything in your life ever rise to the level of rival to God. Resist that temptation. Continue to make God Lord of your life. If you have never gone into the waters of baptism, the church invites you into this wonderful opportunity of looking past the powers of this world and looking to the one who is actually worthy, the lamb who is worthy, who is worthy of, your, of that power that is given to it, but is worthy of your love and your faithfulness and is worthy for you to choose to say, yes, glory. Glory to God. And if you've repented of something today, the world needs to hear your shouts of God's glory because we need to hear that transformation is possible. The only way to heal brokenness is to admit it is broken and to accept healing and transformation. And so that's what we have the opportunity to do today, to worship God, to heal. And so I just want to conclude with the psalmist's ending to this chapter. Here's what God's response is and always will be to us, to those who say glory in his temple. Psalm 29 concludes, the Lord, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. May we follow the only Lord who can truly bring peace. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I know it's true for myself. I know it's true for those of us in this room that there have, times, there have been times where we have rejected you and worshipped something else. And we all have different temptations of what that looks like. Lord, I ask that you would bring it to mind and those who pray with us that we might know what that temptation is that we struggle with that we might choose to truly call you Lord. Lord, I pray for the moment of truth, the moment of repentance, the moment of healing that we, we need, not only individually, but as a society. We can't do that work alone. It is only through your power that a better possibility emerges. Lord, to all who are hurt, who are struggling, who have been abused and oppressed, we pray for your healing peace and comfort and presence. For all who have the opportunity to act in ways that coincide with your justice and love and peace, we pray for courage to do what you call them to do. We pray that you might bring your healing wind and your loving storm into the midst of our lives so that we aren't distracted by everything else, but we fully feel your presence. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.